Mistakes, blunders, slips, errors, all of these are not dirty words. In fact, I celebrate mistakes. I encourage mistakes. I welcome that vulnerability of you just standing there and doing your thing in the classroom, knowing that you will make mistakes and that's just how you learn and it's completely fine. I've been in this game for long enough to have seen a few patterns in teaching practice and there are some mistakes that are very common just across the board that we do. So this episode is all about sharing those with you so you can reflect on what you're doing as well as giving you some really easy fixes because these common mistakes have also got some pretty easy fixes to make some really instant progress in your teaching practice. Welcome to the Unteachables podcast. I'm your host, Claire, and I am absolutely no stranger to the challenges and let's face it, sometimes carnage of being a teacher. And if you found yourself here listening with me, I'd say that you might know a bit about that as well, because being a teacher is friggin' hard. And this podcast is dedicated to making you feel a hell of a lot less alone whilst giving you the knowledge, support and strategies that you need to not just survive the chaos of being a teacher, but truly thrive. Think about it as getting a weekly dose of relatable, actionable, and most importantly, enjoyable professional learning straight into your ears. So hit the subscribe button, download me for your commute, and let's get into it. Hi, everyone. It is another week. It's another Tuesday, which means that if you want to, obviously you're choosing to, you can have me plugged into your ears to talk about teaching for a little bit. And I hope that this episode is really helpful. Today marks the first day officially of my maternity leave as well. So it's a pretty special day for me. And I still have a little bit of time before baby girls here on Earthside. And I've taken this time literally just to focus on the unteachables and focus on nesting and just do all of those things that like it's a privilege for me to be able to take this time and kind of step back and do that. And I love that the first day of my mat leave, I'm recording this episode and just kind of being here with you. And it's just, yeah, it's really lovely to be able to do. Um, so. I'd say that my career has been pretty successful and I don't think if if it wasn't successful, I'd be pretty worried if I was sitting here trying to mentor people through a podcast and through my Instagram. Um, But I really do think that the success in my career thus far is actually predicated on all of the mistakes that I've made in the classroom, but also just being lucky enough to have mentors who have observed me and been very clear in calling these out and giving me advice on how to fix them. Uh, I know that lesson observations are one of those really uncomfortable and awkward things for teachers, but I absolutely swear by them with every fiber of my being when they're done right. And they have to be done right, obviously. You've got to have the right mentors. Um, And even though I'm not in the classroom alongside you and able to observe and feedback and all of those things, being a senior leader and a mentor myself for many years, I've seen enough teachers in their classroom environments to know what mistakes are the most frequent. Uh, And like, because of that, they're just such easy wins for me as a mentor. It's fantastic because any of the things that I mentioned in this episode, if I see one of those in an observation, it's like the dream for me because I know that they can shift something so quickly and so easily. So even though it would be beneficial, most beneficial for me to be right there alongside you in the classroom to like help you reflect on the things, the exact things you're doing and give you some explicit examples of things you could be doing differently Of course, it's not possible and this is a podcast, so I'm just going to go through a few of the biggest mistakes that I see consistently, Um, the biggest mistakes that have like quite easy like little fixes anyway that you can reflect on, try to pick up on a few things throughout the week and then consider how you can immediately do something to like really make some amazing pivots in your practice because 
yeah, it's, it's completely possible that after listening to this episode, you could make a couple of changes and immediately have these leaps and bounds of, you know, the behaviors in your classroom and what's actually happening for you. So yeah, I'm really excited about this one. The biggest mistake, first of all, uh, later in the episode, I'm going to be giving you some practical ones that you can kind of look at in your own practice and see if you do this, but this is a little bit more just kind of an umbrella mistake, but this mistake is one that's going to stop you from progressing as a teacher entirely. It's the mistake that you can't admit that you make mistakes. It's it's getting defensive about feedback. It's getting defensive about criticism. It's seeing it as, as, a, as a negative thing. If somebody comes into your classroom and pulls out little bits of your practice that need improvement. Um, and I completely understand if you do have a mentor that's doing this in the wrong way and, and it does get a little bit toxic if they're not doing it in a way that supports your growth and all the rest of it. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about if you do have a good mentor and um, they give you some feedback and you don't want to take it because you don't want to admit that you make mistakes. I feel like the most unteachable people I've met in my career are actually teachers who get defensive about their practice. These are the ones that really need to work on a mindset of growth before anything can happen. And in the minds of these teachers, the problem will always be the students. And this is the most disempowering and sad thing to hear because what's happening if we're just blaming the kids or blaming the school or blaming the teacher down the hall, it's never, ever going to change the situation in your room. It just won't. And of course, there are going to be things out of our control that contribute to how crap things can be in our own classrooms. But if we're going to focus on this and we're not going to focus inwards, we're not going to get anywhere different. Um, But I know none of you that are listening are going to be like this because a teacher who is stuck in that cycle of blame is not going to be listening to a teaching podcast aimed to improve their practice. They're not going to think there's anything to change. Anyway, I digress. I make mistakes daily. Even with things that I know are mistakes, I still make them daily. And as a teacher, it just happens because the window for error, you're, when you're managing 30 kids in a room and trying to get through content, is just such a big window of error. You're always going to slip into things that are working against you and your efforts for behavior management. So I would also never, ever get precious about my practice. If you're listening right now and you're in year one of your career, I would still welcome you into my classroom to observe And I would still welcome any feedback you gave me because we all offer fresh eyes and a fresh perspective. Um, And yeah, just don't get bogged down in that defense trap. And I, I don't think it's ever, ever going to be beneficial because you have to remember that feedback, it's not about you as a person. It's about developing your skills. Like your identity isn't being a teacher. That's a skill set that you're developing. And I get it, especially when we see people who are really natural teachers or, you know, if being a teacher is something we've wanted to be our whole lives, so we think we can just embody it. It's just not how it is. We have to work at it. It is a lot of work. So, yes, the first mistake that we can make is just about not being teachable, not being willing to reflect, getting defensive about our practice. And ironically, this mistake is the one that doesn't quite have a quick fix And I think this is the hardest one to shift, but I just wanted to start with this and reinforce the importance of feedback and having a growth mindset before we go into this episode, because if you don't want to reflect on your own practice, if you don't want to see mistakes in your own practice, then there's no point listening to this episode. So I really wanted to start there. Okay. So the next mistake, which actually flows on from this last mistake has a lot to do with how we see our students and see their behavior and see all the things that are unfolding in front of us. The mistake being reactive rather than reflective. Just if the kids are talking over you, joking, there's a 
disengaged hum in the air. It's very easy for us to say and sit back, oh, well, they aren't learning, they're not engaged, they aren't doing what I need them to do, they, 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 they. And even though it feels good in the moment to not have to reflect inward and do anything about it, this is just completely disempowering us. What you're doing is you're pretty pretty much putting your hands up and saying, I'm destined to have a horrific time with this class for all eternity. And it's just so much easier to put all the blame on the kids, being innately disrespectful than actually being that reflect, self-reflective person that we need to be. It is easy in the moment, as I said, but it isn't easier in the long run when you're still in that same place in a week, two weeks, a year, three years time, still battling those same battles and just wondering how you're going to get through, wondering, you know, how long can you stand being a teacher anymore with these types of behaviours? So a pretty easy fix for this is to start getting reflective and have a few questions up your sleeve when you're struggling with all those low-level behaviors in the classroom. There are questions that I ask myself all the time. Well, this isn't a question, but I always start by telling myself to read the room. Just read the room, Claire. Take the temperature. What's going on here? Like just stepping back and observing from afar. What's going on with this climate? Is it just an off day? Is it windy? Is it the full moon? Are there whole school disruptions today? Has something big or major happened? Um, Or is this just the everyday state of being for this group of kids? Like, are they always just disrupting the lesson with little low-level behaviours? And if the latter is true, like obviously if the former is true, then there's just something off about the day and you can manage that and deal with that for the day. Um, But if the latter is true and you've got all of those different disruptions constantly and it happens, you know, across days, across weeks, here are some questions and I'm going to pop these in the show notes as well and in a post on Instagram for you to save for easy reference. But a couple of questions I would ask is what are the structures and routines that I have in place and can I strengthen these? Do my students know what to expect when they walk into this room? Can I make this lesson more visual? Is this lesson pitched appropriately? Is there anything hands-on I can do to give this content more context for the kids or get this across better? How could they reach this learning objective through exploration rather than my explicit teacher talk or instruction or any other way that I could probably like, you know, um, package this up for the kids? Is this content conceptually relevant to them in in their lives in some way? Like is it, you know, do they connect with it in some way, shape or form? And probably one of the biggest ones, one of the main ones um, is how can you really use nonverbals to mitigate so many of these behaviors from actually occurring in the first place? And I would always start there. What am I actually saying with my nonverbal communication right now? Am I modeling what I want? Learning and honing these skills is literally the closest thing to a magic wand that you have as a teacher. And when I say nonverbals, I don't mean a few hand gestures or visuals. I mean, every single little thing you do. And I'm going to go into the next mistakes, which are more practical, but it kind of is all around this idea that nonverbals are so important because you need to be putting out there without saying it what you're trying to say. You have to be mirroring those things together. You can't be giving conflicting messages between what you're saying and what you're acting like or, you know, what your nonverbals are saying. So these next mistakes are the practical things that we actually do in the classroom. These are the things that I observe happening constantly all the time in teachers These mistakes are the inadvertent cause of a lot of low-level behaviours. It's really hard to hear because we don't want to admit that we're actually causing some of the behaviours in the room. And of course, not causing them. We're not like, you know, purposely causing difficult things to happen in our classroom. But 
we are contributing to these things and there are things that we could definitely be doing to reduce these because we're constantly stitching ourselves up. I used to shoot myself in the foot 50 times a day with these types of things. So the common mistake I see at number one is us rising to the volume. So, you know, we always talk about modeling and if we're trying to model behavior we want to see and we're saying quiet, 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 but we're actually loud, 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 what the hell are we what do we think is going to happen? And I spoke about this in last episode too, but it can really stitch us up. So the quick fix is just calling for attention, using our stillness and our presence in our body language. We're pausing, we're waiting, we're breathing. We're doing anything that we humanly can to just drop down the energy of the room, drop down the volume of the room. And we cannot do that by standing there and going, class, quiet, everybody quiet all the time and, you know, raising our voice above the noise. And the worst thing of all would be to, you know, continue teaching over it. Um, So all of those kind of strategies, I do go over in great detail in my masterclass coming up um, because they're so much more nuanced and complex than anything that I can explain on here. But as a rule of thumb, don't keep raising the energy up when you want the energy to be low. Don't be loud if you want quiet. Don't be jokey jokes if you want serious, serious. And I think you get the point there. The next mistake flows on from that last one, but I see it all the time. (laughs) So I want to make sure, you know, not to do this. When students are doing independent work or reading or doing anything quiet that you want them just to get on with, and you're walking around the room quickly, you're talking loudly to different students who are off task, or you're continuing to talk to students who give instructions as you're also expecting them to get on with work, it's so distracting. It's not just distracting, but by you doing this, it's a non-verbal signal and permission to students that they can talk to each other, that they can then be loud, that they can do what they want. And it's more likely that you'll have a student talk back loudly to you as well. So if you're trying to address behaviors in the classroom when everyone's trying to get on with their work, if you approach a student loudly, they're going to be talking loud, like loudly back to you. You need to be modeling to them what you want. So you really need to lower that energy and the volume. And the amount of lessons I've observed where this simple change could have transformed the engagement and energy in the room is just absolutely phenomenal. And I have seen teachers, like I've given this advice before and in the next lesson when I've observed them, I have seen these night and day shifts just from them modeling that energy when they're trying to get students to do that independent work. All of these things are just really nuanced nonverbal skills that can be as transformational as a magic wand. It really can be. A good test of this kind of stuff is when you're sitting in staff meetings and someone's facilitating that staff meeting, it's a really good opportunity to kind of see and feel what a student feels like when they're sitting in front of a class. So let me know if you've experienced this too. And it happens all the time and like it just shows that teachers just tweaking this one little thing won't just make you more effective in the classroom, but it'll make you more effective as a presenter, as a leader and all of these things. Cause it's not just about kids. It's not just about students. It's about our skills in leading because we're the leader of our classrooms. So just say someone's running training and they ask you to read something, they pop something in front of you on the desk and you know, maybe it's a sheet of like a page of reading or something. And it happens all the time. They might give you a sheet of reading and they might give you a question or something that you're going to be talking about after. So just say they put that in front of you and they say, okay, read away. But then as you're reading it, they're giving you more instructions. They're talking at the same time. And 
they've given you five minutes to read it, but four of those minutes they've been blubbering on about something and they haven't zipped their lips. So you can't concentrate on what's in front of you because they just haven't given you the space to do it. And as an adult, it's incredibly frustrating for me. And I've, I find it really difficult to concentrate on, on someone talking at the same time as me reading. Some people might not find that frustrating. Some people might not find that an issue, but for me, I can't physically concentrate on reading something and concentrate on something if someone's talking at me. Um, So imagine students now trying to focus when we can't shut our mouths, when we can't zip it, when we're trying to give them extra instructions on top of it. And it's not something we're doing intentionally. It's just what we're doing in a classroom. We've got so many things going on. We've got a million little bits and pieces that we have to get through. And, you know, something pops into our heads and we have to say it. We have to open our mouths again. But it's really important for us to just zip it. If we want them to be reading We have to catch ourselves about to open our mouths, step back and go, no, just give them that five minutes. I'll think about that and I'll put it on the back burner for when I need to speak to them after, which I guess is the next tip and easy fix. You want a student to focus, want them to read something, then we just stop flapping our mouths. We stop flapping our body around and we just let them do it in peace. I used to be so guilty of this all the time and I still catch myself doing it from time to time, but it's something that's such an easy fix. And that brings me on to the last common mistake I want to talk about this episode. Just say that you're trying to give instructions. You're trying to tell students what you're about to do as a class. Maybe you're setting them off on group work. You're setting them off on individual work. You're getting them to do anything. And it's really important that they listen to your instructions. It's really important that they know what to do with this task. But you also simultaneously get students to take a sheet and pass one along, or you're handing things out while you're talking. If you want your their attention on you, you need to get their attention on you. You can't throw something in the mix that's going to actively draw their attention away and give them opportunities to engage with each other and drop papers and laugh and need to call out the name of the person in the next table and, you know, hands up if there aren't enough. And the list goes on. There's so many little opportunities if you're doing this for students' attention to not be on you. They're looking up, oh, where's the sheets? Who's got the sheets? their attention won't be on you and that's where you need it to be. So all of those little low-level behaviours that happen while you're trying to talk are caused by this little take one, pass one along. And then when they do finally have that sheet in front of them, what do you think they're going to be doing? They're not going to be listening to you. They're going to be looking at that. They're going to be reading that. They're going to be flipping it around. It's mixed messages. Where do you want them to look? You want them to look at you. You want them to look at the paper it's an easy fix. Just wait, make sure their attention is on you and then you can move to hand anything out. And you're probably thinking, but I don't have the time to wait. I need to get through stuff. We'll just think you'll spend much more time on needing to go over things again, or the questions that the students will have or bringing the class back from disruption. than you do handing the sheets out after you've finished your instructions. Or if you want them to read the sheet while you're doing the instructions, if you've got the, you want that visual in front of them, hands it out beforehand, like pop it on their desk before they come into the room or just make sure they're all there ready and settled before you start giving your instructions. So those are my three practical things that I see all of the time. That is something that happens constantly, but it's a super easy fix to do. And they all kind of are based around the same philosophy of model what you want. And it's like, keep going back to that. Like, am I sending a message out right now that I want to get back to me? Am I giving mixed signals right now? Am I saying something, but doing something else with my body? Um, If I want their attention on me, am am I asking for that? Or am I doing something else to draw their attention away? 
So how many did I call you out on, <laughs> if any? If I did say something and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, Claire, that is so me, make sure you send me a message and let me know and um, just commit to trying to catch yourself doing our next lesson and changing things up a little bit. And the most important thing is, and going back to that first big mistake, is don't get precious about your practice. I still make these mistakes constantly and I need to catch myself doing it. I need to, you know, shake myself out of doing it. And when things are going wrong in the classroom and, you know, the behaviors are just escalating, I think, what is going on here? And I go back to those questions and where humans and we make mistakes and, you know, teaching is incredibly nuanced and complex and there's so, it's like so multifaceted. So we can't expect to be doing all the right things all the time, um, but we need to have the strategies in place to go, oh, okay. And, and the awareness and go, okay, yes, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> like that's what I'm doing. And I need to be able to shift that. So never, ever, ever be too precious about your practice to change things and to think about things differently and reflect on things. So before I go, if you're listening to this in real time, good on you. And I just wanted to let everyone know that a lot of those practical strategies I spoke about today, I will be explicitly teaching and supporting you to develop in my upcoming masterclass, Unlocking Your Teaching Superpower, Nonverbal Classroom Management. Um, when you're able to understand how to strategically and skillfully apply these nonverbal classroom management techniques, you can feel empowered to tackle anything. And that is the ultimate goal. Like I said at the start, there's nothing more empowering, sorry, disempowering than teachers not being able to reflect and learn and grow. There's nothing more disempowering than blaming the kids and feeling stuck. This training is the total opposite. It is super empowering. And this is what I'm always advocating for teachers, feeling empowered to make incredible shifts in their practice, to have successful lessons and shift behaviors so all their students can be learners. So if you aren't a part of that masterclass yet, which goes live on the 27th of November, then you can find all the details for that in the show notes, along with the um, question prompts and the reflective questions that I've put on, I, I spoke about earlier um, and all other little bits and pieces. And that's it. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, I'm going to try to fill my time with lots of lovely maternity leave stuff. And um, yeah, just go and make all of those glorious mistakes you need to make and yeah, please let me know when you do make them and you catch yourself because there's nothing more beautiful than hearing teacher growth through self-reflection. And that's it. I can't wait to be in your ear. Same time, same place next week. And bye for now. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Unteachables podcast, teacher friends. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, please make sure you head over and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single one. A little review would also mean a lot. And if you're a teacher just wanting to suck the classroom management knowledge and strategies straight out of my brain and pop them into yours, you can join my comprehensive professional development program that'll teach them today at the-unteachables.com. And because you listen to my podcast and you're a little bit more special, you can use the code podcast20 for a special 20% off enrollment. This training, I promise you, is truly transformational. Find the full link to this and other goodies, including a special freebie in the show notes. And finally, if you're wanting to reach out and say hello, please don't be a stranger. You can head over to my Instagram where I hang out the most, the.unteachables, and pop into my DMs. Until next time, teachers.